On this episode, I sit down with Dominic Dobson, the COO of VR Motion, and we discuss virtual reality driver training, autonomous cars, and a few of the challenges in tech startups. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose. Today, I have Dominic Dobson joining us on the show. Thanks, Dominic, for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And Dominic is the uh, co-founder, correct? Co-founder or CEO? Co-founder, COO. Co-founder and COO of VR Motion. And um, Dominic, why not? I, you you will do a far better job of explaining what you do than I do. Um, so why don't you just tell us a little bit about what VR Motion does? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, we build software for um, virtual reality driver ex- driving and automotive experiences, primarily driver training, focus at the enterprise level for uh, transport, truck fleets, delivery drivers, law enforcement, military things like that. So. Um, how you started, or you were the co-founder of this, how did you come up with the idea um, to, to get into this? Well, it was a bit serendipitous, actually. Uh, you know, my background is professional car racing, which I did for many years and retired in the late 90s. <clears throat> I had a list of races I wanted to do in retirement, one of which was the Pikes Peak Hill Climb, which I did in 2015. And in preparing for that, uh, I met my co-founder, Keith Marr, who'd done race car driver training uh, using VR. And I tried one of his simulators. Um, Long story short, he built me a simulator for Pikes Peak. I did 22 runs up the mountain. He predicted a lap time that was within 1% of what I ultimately did and helped me uh, win my class and get Rookie of the Year award, which is pretty unusual for a first timer at Pikes Peak. It's a very, very challenging course. And I just felt like uh, training on the simulator that he provided for me was very beneficial and very helpful, and it was something I'd never done before. So I was quite impressed and called him up shortly thereafter and said, uh, we need to get into business together um, using this technology that you've, that you've developed. That's awesome. So how, um, I guess my thought process is you are a race car driver background, and he was, is he all basically the technology side or do you have any experience with technology and kind of the augmented reality VR world? Well, it's kind of funny. I, I call myself the car guy who loves technology and he calls himself the technology, uh, technology guy who loves cars. So we're, we're kind of a perfect fit that way. Um, my background is car racing, but it started as a mechanic. I've always been intrigued with the way things work. And, you know, as I I was around in racing when technology really started bringing things like ground effects and uh, data acquisition systems and um, GPS and and all these things we ended up using in the later start of my career, whereas in the beginning of my career, it was all analog. So I was lucky enough to kind of be in the right place at the right time. I started a company um, to develop some uh, heads-up display, uh, wireless heads-up display technology for the racing market and for also for motorcycles, which is another passion of mine. And we were able to um, create some patented technology for that back in early 2000s and ended up selling that, uh, those patents to Google uh, when they built the Google Glass. So um, I had background in, in startup technology and, uh, and race cars. And um, of course, I was a driving instructor as well back in my youth, so I have some experience in you know, teaching, not just driving, but teaching people how to drive in an effective uh, fashion as well. And Keith was a technologist, 22 years at Intel, developing uh, R&D and uh, other roles there, but always had a passion for cars. His dad was in the, uh, had a garage back in Ireland, and he used to hang around and you know, sweep the floors and then work on cars, and so uh, he loves cars and loves to drive fast. So we're, you know, we're kind of a great overlapping skill set, I guess. So the, as far as simula- simulators go for cars, um, you, I, I've, been, I've seen these, they're simulators themselves are not um, new technology, but they're, no. they are, I'm assuming, getting far better than kind of the very, I don't even know when the first simulator was used, but um, I've seen some that are, you know, they just, they almost feel like 
some old school video games that you played back in you know the early 2000 or late 90s but is how how realistic is your simulator well, you're right. Simulators have been around a long time. They started them, I think, you know, they were training in uh, World War II aircraft in simulators. Uh, they were pretty rudimentary, uh, just like the ones I, you know, I, I used in driver's ed um, back at the turn of the century when I got my driver's license. They were basically sit in a chair with a steering wheel and watched a black and white television. Um, you know, they've come a long ways. Now, fully immersive in VR. Um, that's been the big leap forward is how to integrate VR in such a way that you get a 360 view. Um, it's all digitally created. We, we recreate the world and we allow you to look around. And because of that immersive nature and the 3D effect of VR, um, it feels much more realistic. It's, it's much more like actually driving. Uh, we use haptics in the seat. We connect you through the steering wheel by having a very positive feeling wheel and through the pedals which are kind of the three places you're connected with the real world is your hands, your feet, and your, and your butt uh, in the seat. And so we try and do a very good job. We have a saying here, see no evil, feel no evil, hear no evil. So between the sound and the vision and what you're feeling in the car, we try and make it a very realistic experience and take people out of the real world, put them in a virtual world that I think is 80 or 90 percent uh, similar to the real world and so it creates this deep learning effect. There's been a lot of research done on VR and how it can help people with learning disabilities train. They're using it to train surgeons and um, fighter pilots and um, you know people who have very intense jobs because um, the memory retention and the muscle memory that is a resultant from VR is, is uh, in pretty incredible. So the haptics in the seat, that means like as I start accelerating, it's basically vibrating and simulate or, you know, uh, mimicking that same effect as I'm, you know, accelerating in a car, right? That's correct. Yeah. So you feel the engine, first of all, you know, depending on what kind of car it is. Obviously, if you're in a Tesla, you don't feel much. But if you're in a something with a big V8 in it or, or a race car, you, you really feel it and you hear it. And then as you accelerate, you feel yourself being pushed back in the seat. We move the seat in such a way that gives you some simulated G-force. Um, same when you go around the corner. And it doesn't take much. We don't move the seat more than an inch or two. Um, but it's enough to kind of set your brain. What really we're trying to do is use the visual um, in the VR to trick your brain into think you're, thinking you're moving. And then use the seat motion, the haptics, to basically trick your inner ear, your vestibular system, into thinking you're moving. Now, the vestibular system is not easily fooled, and in some cases people will get, as a result, some, um, it's not really motion sickness, it's really simulator sickness, and it's different, but it's effectively a disconnect between what your brain and your eyes are seeing and, and, and thinking, and what your inner ear is telling you is what's really going, going on. And there's some very uh, unique um, practices that we use and some things we focus on to try and eliminate that and we've and we virtually eliminated it but there are still some people who who are sensitive to that mm. so it's a combination of all the things all your senses that we're trying to recreate a situation where even though you're sitting in a chair somewhere um, your body and your brain think that you are actually moving through space gotcha okay so I'm trying to picture um, and I think I saw a video on the website, but for anyone that's listening, basically the way that this um, system is set up, it kind of would look a little funny from the outside because you're, it's just a seat with a steering wheel and pedals, right? On a, it's like a whole platform or system, but there's that's no correct. screens that the person's looking at because it's all in their headset. So they're kind of, you know, frantically steering or driving the car very aggressively, but from the outside, there's you're just watching someone that's immersed in this world that um right am i am i describing that correctly no you're exactly right yeah so the the user is seeing something like 110 to 120 degrees field of view it's not quite the same as the real world yet although these headsets are getting better and better each new generation of headset is going to expand that field of view yeah, the resolution's getting higher, and of course the price is coming down simultaneously. So we expect that experience for the user to get better and better. And then what the people outside, you're right, they're seeing kind of this, you know, odd 
looking person with a headset on sitting in a chair driving, <laughs> turning the steering wheel, moving the pedals. And uh, what we see on the screen is about maybe 40% or 40, 40 degrees of their field of view. So wherever they're looking, we kind of see that, but we don't see the peripheral like they see. Uh, because we're just looking at a flat screen. And it's really kind of telling the difference between watching it on a flat screen and then getting in the VR and actually having the whole additional dimension. Mm. So, and you guys are based in Hillsboro, correct? That's correct. We are uh, directly across the street from the Intel Jones Farm campus, uh, which is where Keith worked and uh, we, uh, they are a uh, hardware partner. Um, and uh, we use uh, a lot of their products and a lot of their leading edge stuff that's not available to the public. They've been um, good enough to allow us to kind of develop on it and really make it a, a very worthwhile experience. Good VR requires a lot of processing power and a lot of graphics capability. Mm. So I'm assuming from the, this sounds like a very cool um, video game <laughs> or has the potential to be you know, the most realistic video game, but obviously it has purposes. And you alluded to that at the beginning of the um, conversation in talking about uh, the applications for businesses that are trying to train their fleet of drivers and whatnot. But how, I guess, help me understand from a, like a very practical um, standpoint, why businesses are really, really interested in this and how exactly they implement this. Well, effectively, and, and you're right, we are not in the game business. We, we don't consider ourselves, um, you know, uh, developers of, of video games or, or, or do we want to be? There's plenty of people who are very good at that. So we focus on the enterprise market where people are trying to train um, drivers, either new drivers, people that are hiring. It's a huge problem in the trucking industry right now. There's predicted to be almost a million driver shortage uh, in the three and a half million driver fleet in this country alone. A lot of the um, baby boomers who have been driving trucks for years and delivering all of our products to our homes and to the grocery stores we shop at, they're retiring. And they're, uh, th these fleets are having a hard time hiring new people for what is sometimes perceived as not the most glamorous of jobs. And so um, they, they're, they're trying to come up with new ways that they can assess the quality of the, of the driver, their commitment to the work and then retain them because the turnover rate is very high. Um, they're also using it for remedial training. When somebody has an accident, they can come back and uh, effectively train them for cheaper in a very safe environment. Safety is a huge concern for these companies. You look at law enforcement, military, um, the, the truck fleets and delivery fleets. Their number one goal is to the safety of their drivers and the safety of the public. Uh, the last thing you want is an out of control truck plowing into you know, a group of people mm. uh, or a delivery van or anything else. Um, so that's really the, the focus for them is that they can lower their costs and they can increase their safety. And you just mentioned something that I had not heard that perspective of as far as they're estimating a, did you say mil, um, a million or a couple million? Nearly a million, 900,000 drivers over the next several years is going to be the shortfall uh, industry-wide. And um, they're really working hard to try and come up with ways that they can engage people at a younger age and, and get them thinking about a career um, driving, driving a delivery truck or driving transport uh, over the road. Um, you know, we all know that autonomous cars are coming at some point. There's a lot of people working, very smart people, very well-funded people working to make that happen sooner rather than later. However, there are roadblocks and, and obstacles that need to be passed, like public acceptance of this, the trust factor of you know both people wanting to be in a car what they're not actually driving, and also people wanting to be driving down the side or walking down the sidewalk with autonomous cars you know whizzing by. Mm. So those are things that will um, slow down, I think, the ultimate adoption of that. The business we feel we are in is training people not just how to drive, but how to interact with the technology of the vehicle. And that includes training people how to, what we say, uh, not drive or let go. So for someone like myself who's been driving for the better part of 40 years, um, letting go of that steering wheel is not going to be the easiest thing I ever do. Mm. It's going to take a lot of trust in technology. And although I believe in technology and I, and I love technology, 
my phone messes up all the time. My computer has glitches and it just stops working right. <laughs> from time to time. So, you know, I'm not sure that just letting go and closing my eyes and taking a nap in the back seat is going to be in my immediate future. <laughs> it's so, going to take some training for me. Right, to absolutely. Get to that point. But that's something that I basically, the because of that shortage, um, obviously they need to stir up a demand but that i guess i the thing that's interesting about that to me is that not like autonomous cars for consumer vehicles is one thing but um i've heard of especially for semi trucks that are going down the interstate for 400 miles um and even like um i don't know if this is the right word but daisy chaining the yep. trucks together or something like that yeah um it's, I didn't realize that not only is that like a cool technology, but it's actually needed, potentially needed soon to, especially for those long, they just need to come up with a different way to transport the goods around if you're not going to have enough drivers. Well, it's it's a complex problem. And, you know, dazing Cheney or what I call bump drafting, uh, you know, semis going down the highway, you know, that's probably going to come sooner rather than later, but it's going to happen at, you know, midnight to 4 a.m. in the Nevada desert. Mm. Um, it doesn't solve the problem of the last mile to the grocery store, right. uh, through town, all these things, you know, you, um, getting things across the country on, on, you know, relatively empty highways is one thing, but maneuvering through traffic and getting them safely, you know, backed up to the Safeway or the Albertsons or to the Nordstroms or what have you, is it's a whole, it's a much more complex issue. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and so they still need drivers for that, and they will from quite some time. Right. The trucking companies we're talking to are not planning on autonomous vehicles solving this problem in any kind of short-term basis. And then I'm imagining that eventually, so um, the the business side of things is generally the driving force behind the implementation or the you know invention of new technology or whatnot because obviously a business is looking at you know accidents and dollars and insurance rates and all that stuff to actually do what they do which is why your technology would be very valuable for them but from a consumer perspective um, is this um, I mean is there consumer applications uh, for what you guys are doing potentially um, in the future, or maybe it, there is now and you guys just aren't focusing on that? Yes, no, there are definitely consumer applications and, you know, probably the clearest thing and the most immediate uh, need we see is a natural evolution of what we're doing now is teen drivers and, and new drivers. Um, although teen driver, uh, you know, the, the number of teens getting their driver's license in this country is on a slow decline because kids nowadays in the U.S. just aren't that anxious to get their driver's license and drive. Cars are expensive, insurance is expensive, gas is expensive. And if in, many, in many cases, if you live in town, there's other ways to get around. There's public transit, there's Ubers, there's you know, hitching a ride with a friend, or there's always good old mom and dad. They'll drive me wherever I want because it's cheaper than buying me a car and buying my insurance. Mm. So, uh, but then you look around the country, and the, around the world, I should say, and you see China adding millions of drivers every year to their, their roles. You see the implementation now of uh, women being able to drive in Saudi Arabia for the first time ever. Um, and you see people you know, immigrating to different countries where they don't have any experience driving on the other side of the road or in different environments. Um, you know, just simple things like going to a different country and renting a car. Um, we can develop a very kind of low cost, simple driver training test that will allow um, you know kids to learn the basics with zero risk in a much better way than the old kind of flat screen driver simulation which was more like a decision making simulator mm. ours is actually a skills developed simulator so you can actually teach people you know how the brakes feel when you when abs comes on or um. what it's what it's like to drive in snow and ice we can simulate all these different environmental things you know First time your kid's driving, you know, on the ice down a mountain pass, you want that to be in a simulator, not in the real car. Right. Because they can develop skills and they can develop muscle memory that shows them, A, how critically dangerous it can be if they don't act the right way and do the right things, and give them some confidence. Absolutely. So that's really the next, I think, you know, for, for us, the next level is these um, consumer level. And then ultimately... 
you know, you can drill all the way down to apps for phones um, that can give people quick little tips on different things that you literally can clip into a Google Cardboard and, um, and, and put on your phone. So it doesn't even require a motion base in a simulator. Right. You know, could consumers now have access to VR like they've never had access before, um, particularly when it comes to, you know, the gaming, the gaming applications, the games that are out there. Right. And I was, I, <clears throat> I'm thinking for myself, um, I, my wife and I now have a four month old daughter and it definitely sounds very um, appealing to allow her to, when she obviously in 15 years can start thinking about driving. Um, it's very appealing and more comforting already just thinking about this, the, um, how much more quickly and safely you could prepare someone to drive when there's not the risk of uh, significant damage done to someone's car or your own car, and then also just the safety for that. So I think that's obviously a, um, that, that's just a very cool thing to think about in the near future. Well, it's funny. It's funny you should say that because you know my kids are 18 and 21, and so they, you know, they didn't have this when they learned to drive. They kind of learned regular, you know, driving school and all that, and and they did okay. They they had some lessons along the way. But my co-founder, his kids are a little younger, and he said, you know, what scares the heck out of him is the idea of turning over the keys to the car to his daughter, who's 13 now, I think, and so in a couple of years, you know, he wants her to have the benefit, and it's been one of the motivating factors for him to get this done. So that you know his kids will have the benefit of training in VR. Oh, absolutely. So another thing I was thinking about is the um, uh, with the, you're talking about like you trained um, on was it Pikes Peak? You said yes, Pikes Peak International Hill Climb in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And you you obviously created the or the simulator you were trying to mimic a certain type of race car. A thought right now that I'm curious about is can is the technology there to basically say, I would like to drive a, like you mentioned, a Tesla and the haptics are adjusted and you basically get into the car and it's all as if you're driving a Tesla car or like, likewise, can you say, I'd like to drive a Maserati or a Honda Civic and like basically switch back and forth and have each of those cars feel different? Absolutely. Yes, that's exactly what we do. So we create the underlying software that ties together the motion base, um, the, the VR aspect of it, the headset, and then the content, which is the environment and the vehicle. And those are all kind of interchangeable. Uh, we also have been developing content. So we have done everything from a Ferrari GTO all the way to a Honda Civic to a Chevy Bolt. Um, we've done trucks, Hummers, um, police cars, uh, a, a, a variety of different vehicles. Uh, we did a, a virtual test drive for Honda last year and this year at some of the auto shows around where people could come and test drive the new Honda Civic. Oh. Um, because there wasn't that many cars around and, and Honda was a little bit reluctant to just let anyone hop in this high-performance car and take it on a test drive. So we allowed people to look at the car in the real world and then put the headset on and drive it in the virtual world. And of course the colors matched, the sound matched, the, the visual looks of it matched and uh, people were quite quite blown away by this, you know, kind of uh, virtual driving experience, uh, virtual test drive. So yeah, the, getting the physics right, you know, uh, driving a semi-truck feels nothing like driving a Ferrari, you know, the kind of two ends of the spectrum. Um, but you have to match the physics so that uh, you, you create the effect of realism. Right, absolutely. And are you, uh, is your strategy, I'm trying to think of the different um, ways that a business like you guys could go to market you're not developing the um, like the hardware for the simulator itself. You guys are doing the software that ties in the. Um, you guys basically create the worlds that the person is in virtually, and then you're utilizing the the seat and the steering wheel and pedals. Or do you guys also do that as well? No, we we uh, uh, are basically uh, generic. We can use any. Um, hardware both the, the headsets we can do anything from oculus to vive to the new uh, windows based uh, mixed reality headsets so we're agnostic and then on the motion platform same thing we're agnostic to the motion platform we have uh, 
products built by a company in Los Angeles are motion based for the professional driver training system is developed by a company that started off making racing driving simulators and then we've asked them to build us a special version kind of a white label using our seats and steering wheels which are all interchangeable um, so typically what you'd see if you were going to draw a law enforcement drive a law enforcement driving simulator might be a, a Ford Taurus or a Dodge Charger or one of the squad cars that they typically use and so we use that seat that steering wheel those pedals and uh, that way that when the people connect the training people in training connect with the car they're really grabbing the same wheel with their hands that they're seeing in VR. Oh wow. So it's part of both a visual and a uh, haptic um, environment that we create for the drivers. So I guess from the, uh, the entrepreneurial side, um, it sounds like you guys are sort of off to the races and things are going great. I have to know what are what have been the biggest challenges and maybe what currently are the biggest challenges in continuing to you know grow and um, develop and you know gain more market share for your particular product or service well like any startup you know the, the biggest challenging is making the commitment to do it um, you know getting some early funding which we were able to do uh, we completed a, a pre-seed round some um, to kind of get us off the ground and now um, you know we have developed a, a, a kind of a first-generation product um, we have very uh, some early customers, uh, kind of a pilot program, so I guess you'll call them. And now we're looking to um, effectively close some of our big enterprise customers and convert them from demos and discussions into sales. Um, so it's a matter of kind of simultaneously developing your customer base, understanding what it is they want, and then developing your product simultaneously. And that's really been the biggest challenge. And of course, funding it all as you go. Um, we've been fortunate in that we've, we've got some good customers that have you know, helped us um, by giving us different projects. But ultimately what you need is a sustainability of a couple of big enterprise customers that um, you know, will help us land a foothold in that business and then expand into other uh, connected businesses. So you, get, you have both economic challenges and then the technical challenges, which is we're developing stuff that people haven't done before. Um, we, we, although you know, we certainly have competitors out there who have done traditional driver training simulation, um, we don't know of many other, if any other people who are doing kind of the same thing we're doing now because it's hard. Mm. Yeah, that's, I, I feel like there's a, there's a lot of um, moving parts um, and technology and then not to mention, on, it's not like you're just trying to tie two existing things together, but you're also pushing um, into new boundaries and, and areas that people haven't really thought about before. So how can, can you paint me a picture of your current business? How big is it uh, people-wise? Where do you guys, what's like the end goal? What do you, what's the, what is uh, VR motion or what's success for you and Keith? Well, right now we're a small team. We have four people here full time and then we use contractors as needed um, uh, globally, really, um, to, to do certain projects. Um, you know, success for us is uh, uh, on a short term, uh, landing our first set of customers and getting some contracts either with enterprise commercial customers or with law enforcement military both of which we're pursuing we have a channel partner that's been in the law enforcement military driver training business for many years and has some great uh, existing customers that are looking at our product and that's really shortened the sales cycle for us um, longer term you know a we're trying to move the needle a little bit on on safety and that's kind of our long-term goal and we believe if we can create safer drivers then that you know kind of helps in our little way helps helps make the world a better place so you know that 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 success for us and and we think the byproduct of, of that success if we can do that is a company that has value uh, either as an acquisition target for somebody who's bigger in the business or um, you know who knows um, I always kind of laugh when we're out looking for funding and and uh, sometimes investors typically investors who don't have a lot of experience will say well who are you going to sell your company to when are you going to sell it and for how much 
And I said, well, if I had that crystal ball, I, I would have had a lot of money on the Super Bowl and a lot of other things because <laughs> the answer is we don't know. Uh, we have an idea. We, you know, we, we know who might be likely acquisitions or acquirers for us down the road, but we don't know when that's going to be. It depends on our success. And we don't know, you know who's going to be looking and, and all those things. So you try, you try and keep an open mind and just focus on the day-to-day -day and you know, your strategic business objectives, which I'm happy to say that we haven't changed those since we started the business. We haven't pivoted. We haven't, you know, we're committed to our roadmap. And uh, we feel pretty good about that because that's not always the case in a, in a little startup. Right. And I think um, I just had a conversation with a guy that you know, Ryan Fink, about his company. And something that he mentioned <clears throat> that Stream has done or had to do is um, in his own startup pivoting, um, not in major ways, but just little micro pivots as they're kind of fine tuning um, the product, the customer. Um, the strategy and going to market, funding opportunities. Have there been any, or I guess I should say, what are some ways that you guys have had to uh, make micro pivots in maybe the original plan? Well, I think it's really more refining and defining. Um, and, and I'll give you a great example. Uh, you know, we had our first uh, early demos with law enforcement, military. Um, and that seemed like a logical first path, first customer. We had a channel partner. We had good demos. We went to a couple Air Force bases. We, we did some demos at a big police training center down in Salem and felt like we were getting a lot of traction. And then um, out of the blue, there was an article, well, UPS started doing virtual rally driver training internally. Um, and it got on the news um, in a fairly large way. I mean, it's UPS, right? So when they put out a press release about this cool technology, people tend to, you know, read it. And it ended up getting onto a big website in the trucking industry. Uh, they contacted us because they just Google searched driver training using VR, found us. We did a, they did a great article on us, and all of a sudden now our website's been getting hits and our phone's been ringing, and these truck fleets um, and delivery fleets have been approaching us saying, hey, we heard UPS is doing this, and we understand you do it as well. We, we'd like to talk, and we'd like, some, you know, we'd like a demo. And so what we ended up doing is realizing, you know, this might be a quicker path to market just because when you're dealing with institutions and agencies and the government and military and such, they don't move quickly as a rule. And they're the first ones that'll tell you that, so I'm not making up stories there. You know, it just takes to have a long process. Typically, to get mm. funding and to get things approved, there's a lot of people involved and a lot of moving parts. Whereas in the commercial world, um, it's still not quick. It's not like a consumer sale, you know, for I'm going to click and buy this $2 app. But um, the process is typically quicker than in the governmental world. So, you know, kind of a, a mini shift in just our focus is we're saying, you know, we need to make an effort to, um, you know, look at that. And, and have a sales process for the trucking thing too. So we built a truck driving simulator way sooner than we thought we, w we might otherwise. So we, you know, in a truck, you've got a bigger steering wheel. It's kind of a different angle and just the view is different. Everything, everything is different uh, driving a semi. I don't know if you've ever sat in one, but if you ever have a chance, just go sit in one and you realize it's not an easy thing to move around and, and drive. <laughs> right. And um, so we decided to go ahead and build that truck driving sim and now we've been demoing that um, and not really at the expense of the other side but it was kind of a less of a pivot and more of an ad advancement a leapfrog to uh, something a little further down our roadmap. So that's interesting but I, that makes total sense that basically you had this idea we should help law enforcement and the government as kind of that was the first thing that came to mind but realizing almost it sounds just by um, uh, what's the word? Destiny. <laughs> you guys had this opportunity and then jumped on pursuing that. Not that you're shutting out the government and police, but that, you know, and who knows when they come to you in a year ready to move, you'd have even better product, right? Absolutely. Because the products are so similar that when you improve one, you improve the other. It's, it's all right. based on the same technology. So it's, the, the differences are little. It's no different than, you know, if, if you're trying to do something and you, and you find that you're always having to push to, to secure one set of customers that they never come to you, but then there's this other group of customers that's calling you and you're getting a lot of inbound interest, 
then you have to think about that and say, well, listen, why would we ignore people who are calling us to pursue somebody that we're having to go call on them all the time? Right, absolutely. I can make analogies to, you know, girls in bars and everything else, but I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's better to be pursued for sure. Absolutely. Easier. So the... You mentioned the semi trucks, which are you've said that a number of times, and I just suddenly was thinking the different applications or reasons that someone would be needing to use the the VR training. And I'm going to make some assumptions and tell me if I'm correct. But in race car driving, you're more concerned with like, are you able to handle the car at high speeds and the you know the friction on the tires and whatnot. But in a semi truck. It's less about driving fast, but trying to fit in a space. Like if you, I'm assuming that with the semi-truck virtual reality simulation, you also had to do some development with basically simulating. So when I, can I look in the mirror as a semi-truck driver and see my trailer, you know, inches from that building that I'm turning around? Yes. And that's really a key factor. You're, you're right. You know, Teaching people how to drive race cars is teaching them to drive fast and, and take certain risks and be accurate. Um, and, you know, driving for uh, truck drivers is about all about being safe and about being accurate. You have to be able to put that trailer within a few inches of where you want it without hitting anything, if you're, particularly if you're driving through town. Um, and, you know, these are the challenges they face. You've got, you know, um, you know, a car on one side and a, and a motorcycle on the other side, but you have to make a right turn. Well, if you're not paying attention, you're going to take out either the car or the motorcycle or both. Um, so mm. it's, it's really about developing those skills and then obviously being able to back the thing up. Um, I don't know if you know what doubles are, but, you know, some of the semis have one long trailer and then the other ones have two smaller ones. Well, backing up one trailer is difficult enough, but when you have to back up two trailers in a row, it's like trying to push a string. <laughs> it's just, a, it's a really hard thing to I do. I didn't even know that they do that. That is something that they do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, in wow. Oregon here and in other states, they have triples. Now, I don't oh know how many gosh. people can back up a triple. That, that just seems like an impossible task, but there probably are people out there who can do that. Um, but yeah, so everything changes, you know, the way you turn the steering wheel to get the back end of the vehicle to move when you're backing up changes by 180 degrees each time you add a trailer on. Oh man. And so I'm just thinking of the trouble I have backing up my boat in the driveway. There you go. So at, think about adding another boat to the back of that boat and trying to back them both up. You know, That's crazy. It, it, it is, it is. So this is a safe way to learn those skills. And, you know, it's not a 100% replacement for driving the real vehicle. We, we would never say that it is, but it's kind of the 85% solution, which is you can do 85% of your training in this and then the last 15 or 20% in the real vehicle. And, and our prediction is um, because... One of the things that we find in VR is we can predict with a high degree of accuracy what people will do in the real world by watching them in the simulator. Mm. And we record every session. We record everything from throttle position to speed to steering wheel angle. And here's the big one is we track where they're looking. So anytime you're in the simulator, we not only know what you're doing, but we also know what you're going to do next based on where you're looking. Oh. And that information is extremely valuable to the operators because they can, you know, record these things. They can work on, you know, if, if a person keeps doing the same mistake in the simulator, chances are very good that they're going to do the same thing on the road. So you can kind of almost catch mistakes before they happen. And do a better job of pointing out you you keep looking left and you need, or you need to look down or whatever because that is an, in, or an indicator of making that mistake. Right. That's exactly right. If, if they're looking for, uh, you know, every, every five seconds, they want uh, these big fleets want the drivers to be scanning. Right mirror across the dash, left mirror, and then back. Five to eight seconds. Well, in VR, we know exactly where they're looking. So if they're not doing that scan in the simulator, they're not going to do it in the truck. Uh, and yeah, that's really cool. I'm thinking very, you, very just good print out, you can print out a report and say, you know, you, you were 
87% accurate on consistently doing your scans or something. Um, yeah, that's cool. And, and what it does is it takes the uh, <coughs> subjectivity out of it too. Right. Most of these driver tests are the same as you and I took when we got our license, which is you have an instructor riding there with a notepad, you know, clipboard, and he's watching and he's writing things down. And, you know, they can be intimidating if he's in a bad mood. There's a lot of things that can affect the outcome of that that have really nothing to do with your driving. Mm. They have to do with his interpretation of your driving. Whereas with VR and, and a, you know, data-driven ob objective measurement system, it eliminates all that. Absolutely. The computer never got yelled at that morning and is in a bad mood. Right, right. The computer measures things exactly the same and spits out a report. So I think for the, the students, it's a very fair and unbiased way, assuming that the test is set up correctly to begin right. with. And then the last question I have on the semi-trucks, I'm just picturing for a test you mentioned in one scenario, you've got a motorcycle on one side and a car on the other. Um, not that you're intentionally trying to um, make the drivers fail, but I have to imagine that there are times in the simulator where you're driving through a city or something and a little motorcycle pulls up next to you and you could easily miss it if you're not doing the scanning and looking and then when you make your turn you end up hitting them or something like that. Absolutely. There's all kinds of blind spots uh, in, in a semi and you know they're starting to add cameras and things um, and, you know, sometimes you'll see them, if you look next time, you'll have two sets of mirrors on the front. One to really look behind you, and then the other one is to kind of look down beside you because these things sit so high that uh, someone on a scooter pulls up next to you, you can't see them at all. Right. Um, and so you're able to, to mimic and do all of that in the simulator. So I can look yes. through the mirrors, mm -hmm. and that's a pretty impressive software. And I'm, guess, I'm assuming it's more of just once you create the world, and then you assign the object in the simulator, this is a mirror, the computer's doing most of that processing for you. The computer does, and, and mirrors are actually, they use a lot of processing power, so we, we run you know, relatively lower resolution in the mirror than we do looking out front, but that will change you know, as, as the hardware and the software gets better. Um, that the resolution will come up and, and uh, to the point where we'll have you know, kind of photorealistic both outside views and mirror views. Mm. Um, and then the other thing, <clears throat> excuse me, um, is just developing um, the, you know, the, the curriculum for training because it, it could be slightly different in virtual reality, the kind of things you do that you would never do in the real world in terms of creating environments where there's snow and there's ice and there's darkness and there's fog and there's, you know, traffic. So we create um, environmental changes that that really are you know it's a click of the button right you want to add rain you click a button or uh, bring in different agents and agents are other vehicles that are moving on their own using you know artificial intelligence to move around and behave like vehicles um, kids crossing on their bikes animals running out in front uh, you know mm -hmm. deer in the in the out in the country so we create these obstacles and you can layer them in because um, you wouldn't put somebody the first time I drove a semi at night in the snow <laughs> with, with a bunch of animals running out in front right. because you're just you're dooming them from the beginning. But as they develop those skill sets, with the click of a button, you can add in these different elements to make it more challenging mm. without ever risking a vehicle or the driver or the public safety. That's awesome. All right. Well, um, I don't. Do you have? Is there anything else? Uh, you're thinking of that I that we didn't really cover that would be interesting to talk about? Um, you know, I think we covered most of it. You know, we're, we're really excited and passionate about this. It, you know, it kind of keeps us up at night thinking about all, all the variants. Um, you know, I, I learned in my last business that uh, start, startups usually don't die from starvation. They usually die from indigestion, mm. which means you try and do too much and you try and you know, create a lot of solutions for a lot of different things. And we've, we've, we've worked very hard not to do that and just kind of stay focused on, on our core mission. And um, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, we've got a wide range. Our lead developer's in his 20s, and my, you know, my co-founder and I are, are older, and we've, we've kind of been down this and seen a lot of things. And so it's, it's, it's really fun to be part of this, uh, you know, kind of cutting edge um, technology that ultimately I think will be pretty disruptive. 
That's awesome. Yeah, the, uh, a good friend of mine um, always says, focus precedes success. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's very it. important to stay to stay focused on something and not be chasing shiny objects, or worse, like you said, trying to do too much um, early on. Well, it's interesting because um, you know there's so much happening in VR right now. I used to subscribe to all of these um, newsletters, you know, Engadget and TechCrunch, and you know, there's dozens of them, and then there's another half dozen that are just stroked on VR, and they'd pop into my email box all the time, and I'd get distracted reading them, like, oh, that's cool, wouldn't that be cool, wouldn't that be cool? I finally just took them all out and have them sent to a separate folder in my email, and I'd read them on a weekend, right. because I realized <laughs> it's really easy to get distracted by, you know, hey, look at this cool thing, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this, and the reality is that, no, we just have to keep doing what we're doing, because that's, I think, our path to success. Right, yeah, you could do it, and that's true, but um, you can't do everything, and someone else is doing that, and maybe can't do what you're doing, or who knows right. what, but. Right, right. So, um, book recommendations. What, um, what book recommendations do you have for the people listening and myself? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't have a lot of time to do external reading. I, I tend to read on the plane. I'm actually writing a book myself now, too, so I, I use up most of my reading time uh, on writing, but um, a book that I just finished, which I really like, is called The Lean Startup. Mm. Um, great book by um, Eric Reese. By Eric Reese, yes. I was going to say that. I wasn't sure how to pronounce his last name, but th that's a great book. There's another one, The In Innovator's Dilemma, um, that I'm just starting, um, which my co founder really is highly recommended. There's some great VR books, and of course, I'm into cars too, so I've got a, a library of car books. and. Um, sometimes uh, on the weekends, I just like to pick up a book about Ferrari and, you know, read interesting chapters about Enzo Ferrari or about, you know, these cool cars or sometimes just look at the pictures. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then one of my uh, just interests in life is uh, movies. Mm -hmm. um, what just this is completely unrelated, just purely entertaining um What's your favorite movie of all time? Yeah, that's such a tough one. Um, I grew up, I grew up um, in Seattle. My dad was an engineer and was very much a sci-fi fan. So I grew up on kind of the Ray Bradbury, you know, Fahrenheit 451 and, you know, the original kind of robot movies. And, you know, uh, probably the movie that had the biggest impact on me was um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh -huh. um, you know, from a from a tech kind of science, you know, science fiction thing, it it just had a huge impact on me. Um, and the other movie I probably had a big impact on me as anything else as a kid when I was growing up. I was probably fourteen or so when I saw it. Was a movie called Grand Prix, and it was a movie about Formula One racing um, set in the '60s, the mid '60s. Oh. And it was uh, done by John Frankenheimer, and he used all kinds of cutting-edge camera techniques and things that had never been done before. There was some special effects, but the special effects were shooting a formula car out of an air cannon, you know, and having it tumble down the road. And um, they, they did a lot of very kind of cutting-edge things. So, uh, you know, in terms of historical movies, I'd say those, those uh, the movie I saw recently that it was really impressive was The Darkest Hour, a movie about Winston Churchill. Mm. Um, fantastic, fantastically well done uh, movie. And, and the one I'm looking forward to, in fact, I just noticed that we're doing a company getaway and uh, next Friday, I think when it comes out, is Ready Player One, the movie about VR that's coming yep. out. I think it I comes have, out yeah. next Thursday or next Friday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like the, that's one that I have on my list to definitely see. It should be an interesting one. I feel yes. like there's a, there's more hype about it in the VR and AR world than the general world, but I hope that it's uh, as entertaining and um, exciting as the previews and what make it. Yes, well, it'll be interesting because you know sometimes movies and and social things like that have uh, can have a uh, uh, a real kind of coalescing effect on the public and get them excited about something. You know, I'm as much as. VR is so much more prevalent now, AR and VR, than when I started my last company 15 years ago. Um, it's still amazing. We go to do these auto shows, and even at CES, the number of people that have never done VR before is still very, very high. It's in the probably 90% plus. 
So we, I ask everybody before they do a demo, have you done VR before? And 90% of the time the answer is nope. Wow. Uh, I know that I definitely have not. I've done like, I don't, are you saying that VR in the sense of like I've put on the Samsung Gear headset, would you consider that doing VR? Because yes, I definitely have not any something. VR. Oh, really? Yeah, so there's any 90% VR. of people that haven't even done that. That's correct, yeah. And, you know, it might have been slightly less at, at CES just because it's kind of a real techie crowd and there was so much VR and AR there. Uh, but you right, go after to a, the conference, 50% of the people had. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah, it depends. You know, as each day went on, there was probably a lower number of people <laughs> had. But, but you go to just a typical auto show and you ask people, and just, you know, that's kind of a broad section of the, the general public. And um, only the young, only really younger people have ever done VR. Um, and, you know, some people think really VR is only for young people, but I had a gal who was probably, had to be late 70s, early 80s. I didn't ask her because I was taught not to. But she <laughs> put it on. Of course, she'd never tried it before. And she had a smile from ear to ear. She wouldn't take it off. She didn't want to get out of that thing. She was giggling like a little girl. And she said, that's the coolest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, so it's not just for young people. <laughs> right. Well, isn't it true that basically every innovation and in technology um, you know, social media channels, just anything is always adopted by the younger people first. Sure. Um, and then it spreads. So, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, you know, you look at little smartphones and, and all kinds of things that, um, you know, we, we, as a, as a society, um, it kind of starts at the lower ages and, and, and goes up and it's, you know, it's the older people that have the hard time getting to adoption and understanding it. Um, you know, I don't know at what point in my household that I looked to my son. I used to be the one to fix everything. And then at some point I looked at my son, I'm like, he's the one that knows how to fix anything that goes wrong with the phone or the computer. You know, at about, <laughs> at about 14 or 15, he's like, give me that thing, dad, I'll fix it. Right. It is, that's actually, I was just thinking, as you mentioned that the, uh, another reason, especially with technology that the younger people are the adopters and the older people are lagging is because. It's not too uncommon for the, you know, the parent or the grandparent to actually need one-on-one -on -one lessons to figure something out. And it just so happens that their kid could be the one to do it because they've adopted it two years earlier and have been using it for two years. Whereas, you know, the companies that roll out the technology, they're not going to people's houses to train one-on-one -on -one how to use this thing. It's just kind of figure it out. And right. the young people are the ones that do. Yeah, it's either the kids or the grandkids nowadays. Right. Well, um, how, last question before we uh, head out. Uh, how can people get in touch with you um, if they um, want to connect? Uh, best way is um, through our website, uh, which is vrmotioncorp.com. Um, there's some videos in there. There's an overview of what we do. Um, and there's a, a, you can sign up for a mailing list if you want to stay in touch. And, and we have blog posts that we do from time to time on there. Uh, but we try and keep it updated, and that's the best way to, to reach out. And uh, if somebody wanted to schedule a demo, they can do it right there on the website and come see us in, in Hillsboro. That's awesome. All right, well, thanks so much, Dominic. It's been fun, and I uh, appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you everyone for your attention and listening to another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. Your feedback and comments mean the world to me. If you liked what you heard, take a second and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. If you've got suggestions for future episodes or want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at chris at chriskiefer.net. And don't forget, I make it a point to include all of the links to the books, movies, and resources that were mentioned in this episode in the show notes. You can find those notes directly in the episode description or on my website at chriskiefer.net. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.